Jeremy, it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, May 30th, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and the deadline to withdraw from the 2019 NBA draft has passed. The final day brought good news for Louisville and Virginia and Maryland. Not great news for Houston and Creighton and Memphis. Weird news for Kansas. And against all odds, I have placed Will Wade's LSU Tigers in the top 25 and one, even though just two months ago it seemed doubtful that Will Wade would ever coach the LSU Tigers again. Norlander, let's just open with some general thoughts on the lead up and the actual day of the deadline to withdraw from the NBA draft. Who was the biggest winner or some of the biggest winners at the deadline? Some of the biggest losers at the deadline? Yeah, there's a. Uh... There's a lot here. Um, we've got, and I'm trusting our, our boy Goodman here on these numbers. He's got 87 underclassmen staying in the draft that declared with 88 returning to school. I'll get to those numbers in a little bit here. Uh, winners, I don't know if there was a an out-and-out out explicit um, overwhelming winner, GP. Because even the even the schools that you could declare winners also took hits elsewhere in between the end of the season and now. Um, I think Kentucky and Louisville are probably my two biggest ones because those are the two schools where you had multiple players returning and you didn't take on a lot of damage elsewhere with the roster. So Louisville gets Jordan Wara back late on Wednesday night. Stephen Enoch, who I think was... Mostly expected return. Nevertheless, he did enter in. He entered into the process. He'll be back, and because of that, Louisville uh, has arguable top five status. You can say the same for obviously for Kentucky, which gets Nick Richards and EJ Montgomery back. Richards was more expected to do so. Montgomery was was I think as not as close, but you know in that top ten of fifty fifty um, unknowns, uncertainties there. So I think those are probably the two biggest ones. Um, I can't list Virginia as a winner, even though, like, Mamadi Diakite. I didn't really get a good feel as to whether or not he was going to come back or not. If you would have made me guess heading into yesterday, I would have said he would return. But th that's also a program that, you know, heading into the NCAA tournament, didn't think that it was going to lose Kyle Guy, and it's not it's not going to get Kyle Guy back. So a nice little short-term win for Virginia there. But I think Kentucky and Louisville I would list uh, above the likes to say a Seton Hall, which gets Miles Powell back, which is huge. Miles Powell is a really, really good college player. But him alone... I don't know if that if that elevates them to the level of a UK or a U of L. Uh, Utah State getting Nemius Keita back, he, you know, he is not a household name, but Parrish, uh, you know, Kyle Boone and I tracked the freshman stuff all season long. Uh, Nemius Keita was a borderline top 15 freshman in America last season and could become a huge top three type player in the Mountain West next season. I think that's a big boost for them. Um, and even like a Florida getting Andrew Nembhard back, who I think I think that was a no-brainer decision. He should have returned. Florida should be really really good. And then as you mentioned. LSU, which is a mixed bag because it loses Tremont Waters, it loses Nas Reed. Those were expected. Um, but Javante Smart's back. Emmett Williams is back. Um, Skyler Mays, who I always expected to return, is back. Um, they get some good news. On the other end of it, I'll also mention uh, Yoeli Childs is going back to BYU. So that's huge news for BYU. I, you could make the argument that his decision – Maybe only other Miles Powell might be the only other one in terms of a singular player's decision affecting the trajectory of a program for next season. 
I think Childs is that good and means that much to Seton Hall, and um, and I think Powell is that good and means that much, uh, uh, or to BYU and Powell is that good and means that much to Seton Hall. On the other end of it, you had a lot of a lot of schools lose out on a lot of players. Um, some expected, some not. Armani Brooks bailing on Houston. Um, I still think Houston will be good, but that's a significant blow. Um, I thought Jared Harper was going to return to Auburn, P GP. He's not. I think that's. I think that's a hit. Uh, and a, a move that I expected to happen, but is nevertheless your loser in it is Georgia losing out on Nick Nick Claxton, who is going to get drafted. If they had been able to retain him, I think Georgia's uh, prospectus heading into next season, GP, would have been much higher. Uh, I know you got a thought on Memphis and Ray John Tucker. I'll save that for you. And then the one that is not a surprise, but man, I think is going to really affect. The outcome for this program season next year is Tennessee and Jordan Bone. Jordan Bone's going to stay in the draft. Had he come back, I think he would have had a great shot at being a top three point guard in college basketball. He's gone. They obviously lose Schofield because he graduated, and then Grant Williams was expected to go, and that winds up being the case. So Tennessee may be arguing among the biggest losers in terms of what they would have had or could have had, and instead um, you know, a little bit of a rebuild there for Rick Barnes. Yeah, I think my main takeaway from all of this would be that there really weren't that many surprises. Like people you thought were leaving that decided to come back to school that, that matter. Um, there really isn't any great examples of that. I mean, early in the process, we got Ashton Hagens back to Kentucky. I guess that was somewhat surprising. We got Trey Jones back to Duke. I yeah. suppose that was somewhat surprising. But by the time the, the deadline actually approached, I, I think, you know, what, what was a surprise? I mean, Armani Brooks, I think, was a surprise. I, I don't believe that, or at least I'll, I'll just speak for myself, I didn't think he was leaving for the NBA draft, if only because I don't think he's going to be selected in the NBA draft. And so that makes Houston a loser because it takes them from a team I had in the top 25 and one to a team when I update this afternoon, I will not have in the top 25 and one. He averaged 13.4 points and 6.3 rebounds last season for that Houston team that earned a three seed in the NCAA tournament. He was their second leading scorer. He was their leading rebounder. His absence means that Houston is going to lose three of the top four scores from last season's team. And given that, you know, they, they don't recruit at a level where you can just reload, um, the odds of them reloading uh, and, and being a, a top 20 team again seem uh, seem low. Uh, I would never rule it out because Kelvin Sampson's terrific, but losing Armani Brooks on the day of the deadline um, is less than ideal uh, for, for that program. But, you know, I always assumed um, Jordan Wara was coming back to Louisville. I always assumed Anthony – Cowan was coming back to Maryland. Uh, I know you you said you thought Jared Harper was coming back to Auburn, but I always assumed that he was leaving, or at least once he announced and seemed to suggest, like I'm in this with both feet. Um, I, I assumed that he was leaving for for better or worse, and so to me that was the most interesting thing. For instance, I've got a a, a mock draft up at CBSSports.com that's been up since the day or the night of the the, the lottery, and every player that I had projected to go in the first round. And the way I do that, by the way, in advance of, of the deadline to withdraw from the NBA draft is I just, I, I, everybody who's announced they're in, I just assume they're staying in and I project them however. And all 30 players that I have going in the first round, they all stayed 
uh, in the NBA draft. So I'm, I'm supposed to update my NBA mock draft at some point this week, but like nothing changed. I, what I was actually hoping is somebody I had in the top 30 decided to come back to school, at which point I'm forced to adjust, but that just simply did not happen. And so um, I guess good news for Louisville. Uh, you know, I've got them now as a, uh, a top five team in the top 25 and one based on the fact that Jordan War is coming back and they're going to now be with six of the, you know, they're going to have six of the top seven scores from last season's team that finished 23rd at Ken Palm. Beyond that, they're adding a recruiting class that ranks 11th in the country. Uh, got a five-star wing in that class. And then they add Lamar Kimball, who's a, a grad transfer, averaged 15.6 points per game last season at St. Joe's. I think they're an obvious top five team. And again, good day for for Maryland because they officially bring back Anthony Cowan. I've got them as a top five team as well because um, they're bringing back basically every important piece except Bruno Fernando from a team that was you know, top 25 at Ken Palm. But I wasn't surprised by either decision. I really wasn't surprised by almost anything that happened on the deadline to, to withdraw. The only yeah, so a couple things here. Um the only one on the, the only other one on the final day, we're gonna get to Kansas in full here in a few. Um, but uh Devon Dotson is someone that I think would have been drafted, I believe. He would have been drafted late second round, who opted to return. But what you just the GP, the comment you just made about um you know, your your top thirty picks, your first round of your mock and not having a change, that's something we is that is probably going to be the the new normal going forward um in you know in recent years whether it was uh Doug McDermott Chris Dunn maybe Frank Kaminsky Willie Colley Stein I'm just trying to think of guys off the top of my head from you know say 2010 to 2015 2016 guys who if they had left as sophomores or juniors would have been top 20 picks but opted to return and then the next year subsequently left or graduated and still maintain that status. I don't think, of course it's possible, but the position that those players were in are not the positions that, say, Marcus Howard and Cassius Winston are in. They are well-known, um, to, to college basketball fans, they are household names. They are all Americans. Uh, you know, Cassius Winston played in the Final Four. Marcus Howard, for a time, was trajecting right behind Zion Williamson for National Player of the Year last season. Um, but they are not uh, traditional uh, NBA prospects. Now, the fact that we don't have anyone projected as a first-round pick coming back is no surprise to me, but really, Parrish, just a quick thought in here. I have a column up at CBSSports.com on the CBS Sports app about this. Just, just a growing trend. I, I don't know if it's like troublesome. I don't know what it is other than this is where we are going in college basketball, and I don't know if it's going to turn around. College basketball by the year here, because there has been more, this was inevitable, because there has been more um, freedom and power given to the players when it comes to their NBA draft decisions. They can now have official um, relationships with agents uh, leading up to the draft process, and then they can <laughs> disengage from those in an official capacity. Of course, of course, all above board. Um, but what we have here is this. In 2016, underclassmen that stayed in the draft after the deadline was at 59, and that's 59 out of 117. The next year, it was 64 out of 137. Last year, mammoth jump. 
181 underclassmen declared, 79 stayed in, and now, as I said earlier, you've got nearly 90 underclassmen who have stayed in, and the number this year was about 175 underclassmen that uh, that stayed in, so or that declared initially. So, what you have is this wide pool of players. Guys, frankly, that even college basketball fans, some of them don't even know. What they're doing is they are testing out the process, and I think there's a number of reasons why, and we really don't have the time or, or means to get to it on this on this podcast, but I actually got a theory that this is another way of going through recruitment all over again, and some of these dudes just want the attention so they can make their announcement uh, that they're coming back to school or make their announcement that I'll always be a forever fill-in-the-blank mascot here, whatever. But college basketball, because of this, it's getting it gets some good players back. There's no doubt about it. But it's it also it's just it's kind of chipping away just a little bit, chipping away. And GEP, you would know this as much as anyone because you you update your off season top twenty five and one literally like every three to five days with uh, commitments or draft decisions that that go one way or the other. And so college basketball will be fine. It will continue to to be a, a sport that that is successful. But I do think there is a little bit of a a threatening element to this with its overall national relevancy because if you're taking away the third best player, the second best player on a fringe top 25 team in a major conference, I think that does do some degrading to the overall sport, and it's not a good thing. And I know Jonathan Cavoni of ESPN, who does a great job uh, with the draft stuff and the prospects, he made a quick comment on this on Wednesday on Twitter and just saying, and I completely agree with him, and the column touches on this to a certain extent. You know, the NCAA, if it does not want to lose out on these guys who are not projected to go in the draft, they are leaving school because they want to start a professional career, because they're chasing the money, because they think that doing that, getting trying to get a two-way NBA contract or playing in the G League is a better option than the lifestyle that they've been living the past one, two, three years in college. If the NCAA wants to combat that, then yeah, you're going to have to fi- find a way you're going to have to come to terms with the fact that if you can get them to profit off their name, image, and likeness, what would that maybe keep a couple of these guys back and then inherently improve the product because you're going to have fringe NBA talent still playing in college as opposed to leaving it. What are your thoughts on all that? Well, I think your central point is exactly right. Um, college basketball will be fine. Keep in mind we went through a period where – and we will we will return to that period soon, where the best high school prospects, if they wanted to, could enter the NBA draft straight from high school. Um, so we never got Kobe Bryant. We never got Amari Stoudemire. We never got Kevin Garnett. And it did not affect college basketball in any meaningful way. To be clear, it would have been awesome to have Kobe Bryant at North Carolina or Duke or wherever he would have gone to school or Amari Stoudemire at Memphis or Kevin Garnett somewhere. But I've said this forever, and I believe it's forever been true. Um, the stars develop. The stories are going to emerge. You know, you can take the six, seven best high school prospects um, each year and just remove them from college basketball consideration. And somebody's still going to be a first-team All-American. Somebody's still going to lead the country in uh, scoring. Somebody's still going to be a national player of the year. You know, some of the most iconic basketball players of the past 15 years at the collegiate level. You know, it's 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 Jimmer Fredette. It's uh, Adam Morrison. And I promise I'm not just naming white guys. But, you know, if if you don't get – R.J. Hampton in college, um, somebody fills that void. So anybody who thinks, you know, this is going to ruin college basketball is just uh, hasn't paid attention to the history of college basketball. But I will say that um, what what is happening now, 
I think in some ways is worse than than not getting Kobe Bryant in college or Jermaine O'Neal in college I because um, you don't have any um, – they were never there to begin with. When you are taking the best player off of a college basketball team, even though he's not going to be drafted – in the NBA draft, like that becomes problematic. You know, Jared Harper um, is certainly not going to be in the NBA next season. I don't think like he could be a college basketball star. He's somebody we've already seen, you know, um, have moments uh, as a college basketball star. And yet for no obviously great reason, he's just decided to get on with his pro career. And I shouldn't phrase it that way because I don't mean it that way. Um, He'll make a paycheck playing basketball next season somewhere. And, and and that's he'll make more money playing basketball somewhere next season professionally than he would have, uh, you know, made playing basketball in the SEC. Uh, obvious jokes notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I get it. I understand from the player perspective if you just are done with college and you want to get a paycheck. But we are going to keep losing more of those guys. It's one thing to lose, you know – the 30 best NBA prospects every year because they're going to be first-round draft picks. Like, that that was sort of understood. But then it, it gradually moved to a place where, you know, any if you're projected to be a second-round pick, you just go. Like, Dedrick Lawson's not going to be a first-round pick, but he just like, you know, it's time to go. Yes. And so he'll be a second-round pick, maybe, and he'll either be in the G League or overseas or perhaps in the NBA. But the truth is now, first-round picks get guaranteed contracts. And it used to be people would say, if you're not a first-round pick, you need to go back to school because then you're guaranteed nothing. Truth is, American college players selected in the second round of the NBA draft now, usually, with, with very few exceptions, they get guaranteed contracts in some form. And then, now that you've given agents access to the players in a formal way, which I'm for, by the way. I'm always for player rights, for student-athlete rights. But when you give them access, they can better explain, hey, listen, if you're a first-round draft pick, you got to go. But if you're a second-round draft pick, here's here's the number of, of second-round draft picks come out of American colleges in the past 10 years. 90% of them got guaranteed contracts. So you're fine. You're going to make a lot of money next year. And, oh, by the way, if you don't get drafted, let me tell you about Fred Van Vliet. Let right. me tell you about Alonzo Trier. And let me tell you about these two-way contracts that didn't exist 10 years ago. And let me tell you about the G League where salaries are up. And let me tell you about how I can place a player um, in Spain or in Turkey, or wherever. And let me show you the kind of money. It, it becomes, when you're contrasting those possibilities with come back and take Algebra 2 uh, for a cost of attendance stipend, mm-hmm. I'm not surprised that more players are jumping, and I, I can't honestly blame them for doing so. I don't blame them at all for doing so. A player empowerment is a good thing, uh, and we can talk about two things happening at the same time, like more power to the players for doing this, Inevitably, a lot of the as the numbers get bigger, there are only only so many professional roster spots available out there in the world or in the G League or in the NBA. So you're going to have more and more players leaving college chasing this dream. Some of whom are going to make it. Some of whom are going to go undrafted. Might spend two years in the G League, and you're going to look up, and they're the, the sixth man coming off the bench for a four seed in the Western Conference Finals five years from now, and that's going to be an awesome story. There's going to be a lot of other guys that don't make it. And yes, this is the bottom line. GP is this, and I, I, I address this in the column as well. Uh, there was some. I'm not going to try and overstate it, but there was some hand wringing about RJ Hampton 
bypassing college to play professionally in New Zealand in the Australian National Basketball League and why that was an indictment on college basketball. No, it was an indictment on the G League, which was trying to bring in the exact kind of player RJ Hampton is and could not, offering him money. The G League, that was a more embarrassing thing for them than it was for college basketball, which has dealt with this before. And also, losing out on RJ Hampton is not a big deal for reasons you just pointed out. College basketball will be fine if it doesn't get RJ Hampton. It's a bigger deal if you are losing out literally on 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 guys who are the best, second best, or third best players on top 50, top 60 type teams. That degrades the talent level within college basketball. And with the expected impending 2022 reversion to the to the 18-year-old age minimum for the NBA, what we are headed toward here as this trend continues to rise is when we get to 20, the 2022-2023 season in college basketball, we will have the lowest talent level in the sport we've ever seen in the history of college hoops because you'll have X amount of players, call it 25 players that are just bouncing from their high school years right to the NBA, and then you'll still have this number. GP, I wouldn't be shocked at all if it was more than if it was north of 100 underclassmen by 2022 that I to do this. So that's why I, college basketball will be fine. It will continue to have success, get good TV ratings. The tournament's going to be a huge thing. Like it's not, it's, it's by no means are we sending this thing to the hospital or anything, but I think it's an inevitability. So long as that age minimum does change and that's the expected thing to happen here that we're going to look up in five years and the collective talent pool within the sport is going to be at its lowest of all time. That's um, that's my take as well. Like you know, for a while now, the Zion Williamsons and the R.J. Barretts and the DeAndre Hunters or anybody that's been projected to be a lottery pick or even a first round pick, they we 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 just sort of understood they're leaving. They're not going to be around. And we went through a period where the best high school prospects um, didn't enroll in college, and that was fine. Like college basketball was 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 okay. Um, from a ratings perspective, Phillip Arena's perspective, nothing really changed. Um, what is changing now is, as you put it, you're, we're losing the third best player off of good teams, the second best player off of good teams, even if they're unlikely um, to be drafted. They're just ready to get on with it. Like, like 10 years ago, somebody like Zach Norvell doesn't leave Gonzaga. Right. But, but now he is. Not going to get drafted, I don't think. Certainly not in the first round. But like, it's time to go. At, at least, that's his opinion. You know, Jared Harper leaving Auburn is not something that would happen 15 years ago. Um, honestly, Cal Guy mm-hmm. leaving Virginia, I don't think is something that happens 15 years ago. But um, and th- that does real that has a real impact on the sport because it's not players the sport used to lose that the sport is now losing and it affects um it, it, it simply as you put it the talent level within college basketball i think that's the real problem um to the extent that it is a problem and i know it causes incredible frustration for college basketball coaches like um you know john beeline you know i i, I imagine always understood if he develops somebody into a you know a lottery pick then he's going to lose them but this year, he probably lost three players early to the NBA draft who probably won't be selected in the first round of the NBA draft. Like, when that is your reality, it does um, it does impact the sport, and I think it, it impacts the job that, that coaches are asked to do. Uh, without a doubt. I, you know, this is uh, behind-the-scenes 
I don't know how many coaches. It's, coaches are very reluctant to come out and talk about this explicitly on the record because it can be used against you uh, in, a, in a multitude of ways, but particularly with recruiting, so they don't speak about it publicly. But this new reality, and no one's no one's breaking out the violins for, for multimillionaire college basketball coaches, don't get me wrong here, but uh, within the day-to-day and week-to-week and month-to-month of actually trying to do your job within your profession to, to effectively do your vocation um, – this is a, this is an issue on top of you know we're at more than 800 transfers this year so this is a bigger a bigger thing altogether we need to we don't need to completely go off on the side tangent there but yes it has made an impact and uh, and I tell you what I, to me GP Kansas is the school well, let, that, let me say this okay and then we'll bottom line I was it. trying to I was trying to segue for you I know you were and I, but I had one more point I wanted okay. to make and then we'll get right to Kansas okay I, I guess I'd, I'd bottom line it this way. Um, Ten years ago, if you had a top 30 to 40 NBA draft prospect on your team, you could reasonably expect to lose that player. Now I think it's if you've got a top 80 NBA draft prospect on your team, you can reasonably expect that you might lose that player. Is that fair? It is very fair. And that's and that's that's the biggest change. The, the biggest change isn't somebody like R.J. Hampton skipping college. The biggest change is – you now will lose a top 80 guy when used to you could you could reasonably expect Jared Harper's coming back to you Jordan Bones coming back to you um Cal guys coming back to you now those guys will leave because there are maybe not NBA opportunities for them immediately but there there are more opportunities available to them than there's ever been more good opportunities than there's ever been and there's more examples of people who have taken a unconventional route and still made it. I mentioned Fred Van Vliet and Alonzo Trier earlier. They're just two high-profile examples. But there's a lot of examples of guys who are making real money, in, sometimes in the millions, after not being selected after they left college at all. And so if you are Jared Harper, and keep in mind all of these guys are, are, are incredibly confident in their own abilities, sometimes to a fault, but if you think that you're good enough to do this and you can point to somebody who was thought of similar to the way you were thought of coming out of college and yet you turn on the NBA finals tonight and you're going to see him you know coming off the bench and maybe knocking down seven three-pointers um you you can convince yourself that it's not impossible and I can do it and it when you're contrasting that with you know and keep in mind these guys have had one foot if not two feet out the door now for a couple months. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's just like once you decide you want to, you, hey, I'm moving out of this house, it, it sucks to have to go back to that house. If you were, if you for two months been thinking about, I'm, mo- I'm moving out of this house, I can't wait to get into my new house. And then even if you find out the new house isn't exactly the house you planned on moving into, there's still a different house and a better house in, and, and and I, I think that becomes a real thing for some of these guys. Like, dude, I just don't want to go. You telling me now? I've been bouncing around the country, staying in nice hotels, got a little money in my pocket, and yeah, maybe next year I'm only going to make seventy five thousand dollars. But um, I'll take that over. I got to go to summer school. Go back. There. I got to go enroll in summer classes. Like in in two weeks. It, it just makes. There's a whole lot of reasons guys are jumping, and um, it, it does have a real impact. Uh, on the sport, way more so than, um, than, than again, somebody like R.J. Hampton or Kobe Bryant just skipping 
college basketball altogether. Let's move on to Kansas. Um, it's been a while, I shouldn't say wild, but interesting uh, last week or so for, for the Jayhawks. They, as we've noted, missed on R.J. Hampton. And when I say they missed on him, I only say that because um, R.J. Hampton's father um, is on the record saying that if R.J. would have gone to college, he would have gone to Kansas. So that is a player that Kansas would have had that it now will not have. Similarly, um, Quentin Grimes withdraws from the NBA draft um, a few hours before the deadline, but then announces through Kansas that he is going to transfer um, to another Division One school, presumably under the circumstances that will require, require him to sit out a year. So this is unusual, not unprecedented. Um, Malik Newman did the same thing, leaving Mississippi State. Um, withdrew from the NBA draft and then transferred to Kansas, set out a year and was really good in his one season with the Jayhawks. So that's two players that Kansas could have had back that Kansas won't have back or that that, two, that Kansas could have had on its roster that Kansas won't have on its roster. Meantime, they get Devon Dotson back. That's huge. And the NCAA reinstated Silvio D'Souza. He will be eligible to play for Kansas next season. Add it all up. And if you don't count Yudoka as a bookie who only played nine games last season, Kansas is losing its top two scores um, and three of the top five from last season's team that went six and four in its final 10 games and finished 17th at Ken Palm. Meantime, they're not enrolling, at least at this moment, a single top 50 prospect. Um, that is also the byproduct of RJ Hampton uh, not committing to uh, KU. So let's take um, all of this and, and, you know, piece by piece. Let's start with RJ Hampton. His decision to go play professionally in a league in Australia for a team based in New Zealand. Uh, what did you make of that? Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Well, I mean, I touched on it briefly before. Um, those who followed Hampton's... Um, his his path, if you will, him him reclassifying literally a month ago to the day we are recording this podcast on April thirtieth. Uh, to those who were, you know, who had been following this thing, um, thought that indicated that he was going to go play professionally and not necessarily play in college basketball. Um, it's it, more power to you. Um, we have had uh, not many players 
I don't want to say none, but I feel like there was like Jordan Tyler was one where you've had a player go from high school to overseas and there were no questions about his eligibility. That was not the case with other players, uh, Terrence Ferguson, Brandon Jennings, Emmanuel Moutier being uh, the three most prominent ones. So he'll go do his thing. Um, this is not going to... Uh, you can't tell me that this is going to start a trend or not be a trend. First of all, we talked about the 2022 one-and-done deal. I mean, if, that's, if, that, if that happens and it's expected to happen, although you do have to convince the Players Association to do this, don't forget there's going to be 33, 34-year-old dudes that have no interest in giving up a year of their professional lives ahead of time. So that, I think it will happen, but there's still, I still think there are major negotiations and compromises that have to be made. But let's just assume that it's going to happen. 2022, we go back to the 18-year-old rule. Um, if that happens, there are going to be no R.J. Hamptons. There are, there is not, there are, there are going to be no five-star prospects that are leaving the United States of America to go play for a year because they won't have to do that anymore. So um, good for him. We'll see. What I mean, he's he's giving up uh, living on this side of the planet, being around his friends and family, and being a relevant basketball player in the United States of America to go disappear for eight months. It's a decision that I don't think a lot of players can make. Um, it does affect Kansas only in that, you know, if you had him, uh, your roster would be that much stronger. What I can't speak to, I don't know if you can or you can't, GP, is if Hampton had made the pick to go and play for Kansas, does that mean Dotson stays in the draft? I don't know if we're trading one for the other here, um, but I would rather have Dotson as a sophomore than Hampton as a freshman. Personally, I really like Dotson's game. I'm happy he's returning because he's going to make Kansas a lot of fun, and I think he's got a really good shot at being a top 15 player in college basketball next season. But overall, yeah, Kansas loses out on... If, if, we, would, if we are going to say that Hampton came back and Dotson would have come back, if both of those things would have happened, and I don't know if they're exclusive to one another, then Kansas would have been in the thick of it for the national title conversation as much as almost any team. Uh, short of that, they are still, I think, fairly considered um, a, a Final Four hopeful here, and, uh, and Hampton not coming along just means you, know, you miss out on that, but it's not the end of the world. Yeah, uh, with R.J. Hampton and Devon Dotson both on the roster, I had Kansas, I think, fifth in the top 25 and one. You lose Hampton. I dropped him down to 12. And I can acknowledge maybe that's too far, but it's not It's not crazy, not nearly as crazy as some Kansas fans seem to think. I mean, what I'm essentially saying is that a team that finished 17th at Ken Palm last season and isn't and lost its top two players from that team and three of the top six from that team, if you count Yudoka as a bookie, um, and, and is not enrolling a single top 50 prospect. I'm saying that team's actually going to be better. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's what I'm saying. Hey, hey, you were seven, You finished 17th at Ken Palm. You lost your best two players. You're not enrolling a single top 50 player, and you're going to be better. Now, they're getting Azabuki back. That's huge, uh, both figuratively and literally. And they get Silvio D'Souza eligible, which I think is – impactful he probably projects as a starter so i think anywhere in the 7 8 9 10 11 12 range is probably uh probably reasonable and yes if you are in that range then you're a final four hopeful i've long believed that anybody that's a preseason top 15 team can reasonably you know hope to be a, a final four team and i think kansas is going to be top 15 uh, in the preseason basically everywhere have you had movement with any other team more from april 
second until May 30th in Kansas. If you have, I'm just missing it. But I feel I feel like you have shifted with KU more than maybe any other team. Um, probably yeah. Kansas has moved more than anybody else because their roster has um, you know, changed or the projected roster has changed in significant ways. You know, there was a time when they weren't expected to get R.J. Hampton. And so I think I had, um, I don't know, right around where I have them now, maybe a little a little higher. And other things have, that happened have pushed them down. But then it, it they were projected, not by me, but by 24-7 sports, crystal ball project, predictions, to get R.J. Hampton. So I took that into account, and I had him in the top five with him on the team. And now they lose him, and I dropped them down to seven. Obviously, Memphis is another big mover because – they got more work done late on the recruiting trail than I think anybody else, adding Lester Quinones, adding Boogie Ellis, adding Precious Achua. I mean, there was a time where I think I had Memphis projected as a, I, I don't know, right? It's top 15. Mm. But when you take the roster um, that Penny Hardaway is now going to have available to him, which is, you know, it, you know it is, is highlighted by the number one recruiting class in America, I've got them. Um, I think I have him sixth now, just outside of the top five after Rajon Tucker uh, withdraws from from. I mean, after Rajon Tucker, who has had announced he was going to enroll at Memphis as a grad transfer, um, subsequently announced he's going to remain in the NBA draft for better or worse. But still, um, you know, it's it's the number one recruiting class in America, and the number one recruiting class in America is almost always it almost always translates into a very good college basketball team. So I think top ten for Memphis is is pretty pretty reasonable. But Kansas, Memphis, both moved around a lot. Oh, uh, well, I mean, no, there's a, there's bigger example. Oregon, like Oregon, at one point I had in the top ten. Now I don't have them at all because they bring of underclassmen. Back, okay, they bring back Pritchard though, so you're not going to have them there at all. I don't think so. Okay, I don't think so. You know, they, they lost a whole bunch off of last year's team. I don't have it right in front of me. but okay. And I think I had them always bringing back Peyton Pritchard anyway. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Who else took a big hit? Michigan. You know, there was a time. Michigan could have returned its entire roster um, and instead loses, I think it's top three scores, plus John Beeline. That matters. So Michigan went from Michigan went from a team that could have, if everybody came back who was allowed to come back would have been preseason number one, and now they're unranked because they lost their top three players, none of whom are guaranteed first-round picks, and their their Hall of Fame caliber coach. So I would I would I would I know I've answered this like six different ways, but Michigan probably the biggest mover from national from night of the national championship game to now because they lost at least at least two players and a coach that I don't think many expected them to lose. Yeah, that's true. But yet but okay, you're right. And still Kansas had such a noisy week, right? Cuz Dotson coming back big time stuff. Grimes announces he's withdrawing. He's now going to move along and hop into the transfer portal. This happened 3 years ago with Kansas specifically. Um where you had Malik, uh, but the other end of it. So you had Malik Newman at Mississippi State turning pro, 
trying the process, coming back, leaving Mississippi State. Then he goes and transfers to Kansas City year. He winds up being a fairly impactful player, and, and that was a good decision for his collegiate career at the very least there. Now you're going to have Grimes, who had an amazing first game of the season. Not amazing. He was good. He was very he was quality in Kansas' season opening win over Michigan State to, to start the campaign, right? And then the rest of the rest of the way, he was just inconsistent, had a couple of nice games here and there. It's clearly not going to work for him. He's moving along. Um, who's to say where he'll end up? But he'll, he'll sit next season regardless because he'll have to sit out for the transfer year. Uh, losing Grimes... You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much that's just really going to affect Kansas one way or the other. They'd rather have him than not, I guess. But he was not, he wasn't their fifth best player last season. So uh, the fact they don't get him and yet they get DeSouza, I, I guess credit to the NCAA for making him eligible because I'd rather have him eligible than not. But you and I, we talked, we spent, we, I think we spent 30 minutes on this in a podcast last season. Uh, I still think that the fairest way and the precedent-setting way to do this. Kansas would have a strong counter-argument, GP, but like, make him eligible anywhere else. What you're doing here is you're saying, all right, if if you know guardians or people, agents, and not agents as like a, a player agent, but just, you know agents of uh, <laughs> agents of agency are doing things around a player to get uh, money into their situation. Uh, you can do this, potentially sacrifice a year, but still play at the school of your choice. I think making him eligible anywhere else would have been the fair thing, but ultimately, I, I guess I don't have a huge deal with it. He's already paid a big price, and having him back there, uh, if you know, if he can play to his potential, I actually think he can be a top three, top four player on that roster. Oh, on DeSouza, and I want to get back to RJ Hampton in a second as okay. well. Um, but on DeSouza, listen, it's hard to be anything other than happy for him. As you point out, he's paid an enormous price for something that there's no indication he had any real knowledge of or any knowledge of whatsoever. Um, I, I don't know that to be 100% true, but if you're a Kansas fan arguing this young man paid a price for something he had nothing to do with and had no knowledge of, I'll concede the point. But this is also true. Kansas is now going to be a preseason, as we just pointed out, top 15 team. Some people have them in the top 10. Uh, that means they're going to be competing for a Big 12 title, competing for a f- trip to the Final Four, and presumably a significant piece of that is going to be a player that was bought for Kansas. Like Whether he knew or not, the reason he enrolled at Kansas is because an Adidas representative paid who had to be paid to get Silvio D'Souza to go to Kansas. And I think that's crazy. I, I, the, the way to handle this if you're the NCAA is to say you're reinstated, you can transfer and play immediately anywhere in the country. Yeah. Go to Duke, go to Kentucky, go to North Carolina, go to uh, Weber State. We don't care. But you're not playing for Kansas because when you allow Silvio D'Souza to play at Kansas, what you are by extension allowing is Kansas – to benefit from a player it enrolled only because an Adidas consultant um, bought him for Kansas. And and that's going to be a storyline. You know, it, it's not something in the offseason that, you know, people outside of us are going to spend a whole lot of time talking about. But when Kansas is ranked third in the country and playing on Big Monday and Silvio D'Souza gets 22 points and 12 rebounds, somebody – it might be me is going to point out the only reason he's there is because TJ Gasnola bought him. 
Yeah. Like that's crazy to me. I don't, I don't disagree <laughs> at all. Um, I don't think it's a good look. I, again, if I'm not saying it had to be neither or, but if 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 it was either this or make him sit another year, then yes, I think that he has paid a big price, but he should have been able to transfer and and been mandated to transfer anywhere else. Um, so it goes. I mean, because here, here here's the new playbook, right? Um, hey, go buy me a player. Make sure the player doesn't know. All right. Odds are we're not going to get caught because the FBI is out of the basketball business and <laughs> so the NCAA think, sucks yes. at catching anybody. Um, evidence being that Will Wade and Javante Smart are both at LSU still. Mm. So um, odds are we're not going to get caught. Don't even worry about it. And if we do get caught, yeah, the kid will have to pay a significant price, but you know what? it'll be a year, year and a half, two years. And then he could either leave, whatever. We rolled the dice, got caught. That's too bad. Or he can hang around, and they'll reinstate him at some point. Like what? What? Like that? That's that's really like that's real life. It, I'm not going to pretend, and and I I think this is an important point to make, that Kansas will be the only school in the country next year winning basketball games with a player who was bought for them. Seems like LSU probably going to be in that boat as well. But Kansas is going to be the only team in the country benefiting from a player who was bought for them that nobody even denies that he was bought for them. Like, it's now accepted fact. Adidas bought Silvio D'Souza for Kansas. And now, yes, after serving a penalty that he individually probably didn't deserve based on the fact that, or at least the idea that he didn't know what was going on or anything about this, um... The idea that he's now going to be helping that same school that bought him, that we know bought him or had him bought for them, he's going to now be helping them win basketball games is just, uh, as you put it, not a good look. And it is actually something that that, that will become a story as the Big 12 season unfolds. Yes. And it's, it's it's something the NCAA should have done its best to avoid. And given that the NCAA can literally do whatever it wants to do, um, the obvious thing to do was, you, young man, you paid a price. We're sorry you had to pay this price. We're sorry you trusted adults you should not have trusted. We're going to allow you to play anywhere in this country next season. To anybody that will have you, you can go there and be with them. But you are you're not going to play for Kansas because we cannot let Kansas use a player we know that was bought for Kansas. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> so GP, sometimes these podcasts come to these moments where – you kind of wrap it up nicely. I got nothing else to add. So what else you got on RJ Hampton, my man? Oh, well, I would just say, first off, uh, good for him. Like, you know, he seemed to, uh, you know, on television, when asked about this, have all the right words. And I thought he explained it well. And he sort of said something uh, I've been saying for years, which is, if you know you're going to spend the next five, eight, 12 years being a professional basketball player, what are you what are you doing going and taking uh you know biology for a semester it seems just seems like a waste of time and if you want to argue every minute spent in a classroom is a good minute um spent for these young people okay whatever but also waste of time like i actually needed biology or whatever to get the degree that i would use to get the job that i wanted to get coming out of college all of it was like one step that led to the other, and without that step, I couldn't do what I wanted to do. 
It's not the case for R.J. Hampton or anybody like R.J. Hampton. He doesn't need whatever freshman credits he would have gotten to get the job he wants to get. And so when he said, I don't, you know, I can just focus on basketball and not have to juggle basketball and books, like that makes a lot of sense to me. That's a very mature uh, way to put it. And he doesn't sound dumb saying that. I know that uh, the big-armed quarterback at Ohio State said something similar a few years ago. Like, uh, I, I didn't come to college to, to, to play, play school, school or right? whatever. Yeah. Cardale Jones, um, yeah. It, but it, that came off as, like, a not-bright guy making a off-the-cuff comment where R.J. Hampton seemed to have some real thought behind this decision. The only thing I would say in terms of the reaction is, well, one point you made earlier, he is going to disappear for eight months, and that's a real thing. And though you don't get paid to go to college, um, your fair market value – Undeniably, you can benefit from college basketball just like Zion Williamson just did. Zion Williamson probably made, I don't know, 50 to $75 million playing college basketball last season yeah. by building the brand that is going to allow him to be um, an incredible ticket seller, jersey seller, shoe seller uh, as a professional. So Zion Williamson, if he'd have gone to New Zealand – He'd be coming back to this perhaps as the number one pick in the draft, but probably not. I doubt it. I and doubt he certainly it, yeah. wouldn't be the international superstar um, that he's become. So R.J. Hampton is trading the possibility of that for money in the pocket, and it's debatable whether that's smart or not, but I certainly understand it. The only thing that I sort of roll my eyes at in terms of the reaction to his decision is, uh, and, and, and it's it's – or the explanation for his decision, uh, and there's things on both sides. One is, like, when the family tries to suggest this isn't about money. Well, of course it's about money. Like, if you really just wanted to not um, go to school and juggle books and basketball and live a professional life, well, you could do that in America. You could do that in the G League. Yep. But they won't pay you as much as New Zealand will. You, you're never going to convince me you're going to live on the other side of the planet. And money got nothing to do with it. So just stop it. I'm not mad at you for taking the money, but like, let's acknowledge the money is the motivating factor here. Um, because though it's not $10 million or $50 million, it's, it's life-changing money for a family. I'm, not, I'm unfamiliar with their background, but I bet you whatever money they're getting, 200000 500000 800000 I bet it's life-changing money for them. I bet it pays off a credit card somewhere. So the money's not insignificant. Um, I sort of roll my eyes when they act like it, it mostly is. And then the reaction on the other side, which is frustrated fans of college basketball teams who thought they might get R.J. Hampton then realized they wouldn't get R.J. Hampton, whether it's uh, Kansas fans, Texas Tech fans, Memphis fans, at one point Kentucky fans or Duke fans. They try to frame their frustration um, as concern for the young man. Like, you know, I just don't want to see this young man ruin his life or mess up his career. And it's like, you don't care about this young man's life or career. Like, if you really cared about the life and careers of young people you've never met, um, you'd be doing a lot more, probably working in your community. Like I tweeted on the morning of, if you really are concerned about teenagers making what you believe are questionable decisions, go volunteer at Big Brothers Big Sisters. Those kids need you. Um, R.J. Hampton doesn't. R.J. Hampton is not messing up anything. He might be leaving money on the table um, because he will not have an opportunity to build a brand in college basketball, um, and and you know that that's a, but he's not messing up anything. 
like he's making more money than 99.9% of the people listening to this right now are going to make over the next year. And he's going to come back and be a first-round draft pick because there's no example of anybody who's ever been hurt doing this. Like the, the three biggest examples of the past 10 years, um, Brandon Jennings, Emmanuel Moutier, Terrence Ferguson. They were all five-star prospects who decided to do this instead of go to college, do something like this instead of go to college. They all came back a year later. Every one of them was a first-round draft pick. Every one of them is a multimillionaire right now. Brandon Jennings has made more than $40 million. I think Emmanuel Moutier, by the end of next season, will have made in excess of $15, $16 million. And Terrence Ferguson, I think, is on track to make in excess of $10 million before he's 22 years old. Everybody's fine. Like these, these, there, There's no evidence whatsoever that this is uh, a career-killing decision. In fact, there's a decent amount of evidence that suggests um, this decision will allow um, R.J. Hampton to, to come back in a year um, as a top 15 pick, top 20 pick at the worst, and be a multimillionaire. And you could actually argue it's safer because if you struggle in college, like let's say you're a projected lottery pick, then you struggle in college. That can really impact your draft status. Quentin Grimes might be an example of that. If R.J. Hampton struggles in this Australian league, you know what they're going to say? Yeah, but he's a kid playing against grown men. Not that big of a deal. Brandon Jennings struggled. Emmanuel Moutier wasn't great. It didn't really affect their draft status because it's much easier to, to explain away. If R.J. Hampton comes to college and struggles, like Scal Labissier came to college and struggled, that can affect where you're going to be picked. But I don't think struggling in Australia is going to um, hurt him at all. And so it might actually be a safer route. Maybe not the... The, uh, the route to the NBA with the highest ceiling, given that, you know, you take yourself off of national television, off of March Madness voluntarily. But in terms of a safer route, I think you could maybe argue this is a safer route. Yeah, because it's, it's the element of the unknown, sure. Playing against tougher competition, uh, more of a curve to grade him on, without a doubt. There's also, I mean, the nature of where he's playing, uh, he will not be as uh, efficiently uh, and as vigorously scouted as the way other top 20 or lottery picks will be for the upcoming year. And yes, I think I, I think that he is going to he is going to be taking a route that has a lot of pros to it, pun unintended there truly, and then uh, a few cons. But I, ultimately. I, I don't – barring him suffering a significant injury, barring R.J. Hampton going and completely fizzling out, uh, which is not something that really anyone who knows this game or, or who, has, who has tracked him and projects him to be an NBA draft pick uh, sees happening, um, it's, just a, it's just another path. We can't say for certain whether or not R.J. Hampton doing this versus had he gone and played uh, for Kansas and averaged – 15.3 points, 4.2 rebounds, and 3.3 assists, if that would have affected his draft stock one way or the other. We just don't know. Um, but, I, you know, I don't begrudge him. I, 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 I think it's interesting, and I have no issue with any players doing this kind of thing if they so choose because we might just have only three or four years left of it. What I will be most interested to see is let's look up next April of 2020 and will we have another R.J. Hampton? Will we have four more R.J. Hamptons? I don't know the answer to that um, and particularly want to see how he plays this year. And Brian Bowen, who may or may not be drafted, also is coming from the National Basketball League. Obviously, he did not want to go there. He's another example of a player who was who uh, who basically had his his hand forced in doing so. Um, 
will the parents of prospects track and see how Bowen does in the NBA if he gets drafted versus how Hampton does and how he plays in the NBL and all that stuff. I yeah, I remain skeptical that we're going to look up in 2020 and see three guys that are top 25 prospects in the class of that year saying, I'm, bu- I'm bouncing on college here and I'm going to go play halfway across the world. All right, uh, before we get out of here real quick, give me your preseason top five based on what we believe the rosters are going to be at this moment. Uh, all right, so this is not going to take into account any potential other transfer decisions that could come into play here. Um, because Kerry Blackshear, we should point out, right. could, could impact. Um, like if he enrolls at Kentucky, I think you can maybe argue Kentucky certainly jumps – Duke, if you have Kentucky behind Duke right now, and you could make the case for Kentucky to be preseason number one, but for 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 right now, because it's unclear what he's going to do, but he's going to be impactful wherever he goes. Um, let's just leave him out of the equation right now, and yeah, based on rosters that we uh, assume are set at this moment. Okay, one Michigan State. I can't talk myself off of Michigan State at the moment. I, I don't like any other team to even be number one at all at this at this point. Uh, I think. I mean, I I would go. I would go Kentucky two. I think I'd go Kentucky two. I would say. I, will you, I'm just gonna get. Uh, I'm gonna get a little bit crazy with it here. I, this this will change my. I'm gonna say Maryland third. I, I'm, that's, that's I'm, not crazy to me. When I I I think I was one of the first ones to jump Maryland up there real high, and people are like Maryland, and now everybody's gonna have them in that top five range. I've got them five. I don't think it's crazy to have them three. I I, I like Maryland's roster more than Duke's right now. I, I I've got to put them there. Uh, I'll put Maryland third. Got Duke fifth, and then I, 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 I got I know I, I know I jumped four. I know, <laughs> you know I know what I did. You're not a count. I'm correct. going to put Memphis. F- <sighs> See the thing is, I can't do it. All right, I'll put Louisville four. I wanted to have Memphis top five, but not having Tucker anymore. I mean that is a talented. But a young team, so I'm going to – I remember I think the last podcast of the podcast before I said you actually could not make a, a realistic argument against not having Memphis top five. At that point, Tucker was expected to be on the roster. Now he's not. So Michigan State one. Yeah, they got to be one. Kentucky two. Maryland three. Gosh, dang it, man. I just – I hate GP. Louisville four, Duke five. I actually hate that yeah. top five, but that's that's my list for now. We've got the same top five, just in a different order. I've got Michigan State 1, Duke 2, Kentucky 3, Louisville 4, Maryland 5. I've got Memphis 6. And just before we get out of here, some notes on that. Even without Rajon Tucker, Memphis has the number one recruiting class in America. I went back and looked at the past 10 years of the school that enrolled the number one recruiting class in America. And in the past 10 years, seven of those teams have finished in the top seven at Ken Palm. Top seven in the country, um, seven of the past ten years. Uh, six of those teams have gotten a top two seed, so either a one seed or a two seed in the NCAA tournament. Six in the past ten years. 
and in eighth, eighth has gotten a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. And it should be noted that one of the exceptions to these things I just pointed out is the Kentucky team that went into the NIT after enrolling the number one recruiting class. But that, as we pointed out a million times, that recruiting class was highlighted by Leonard's Noel, who tore his ACL midseason. And so I'm, I'm not trying to pre- uh, pretend Kentucky would have been a top two seed or a top seven team with Nerlens Noel healthy, but they certainly would not have bombed out the way that they would have bombed out. They would have been a top 25 team. And so my point is this, um, no matter whether it was Duke or Kentucky and each of the past 10 years before this year, it was either Duke or Kentucky. If you enroll the number one recruiting class in America, no matter what you're bringing back, you are more likely than not are going to have a, a top 10 team. In fact, a top seven team in the country. 70% of the time, it's resulted in a top seven team in the country, according to Ken Palm. And I know, so let me point it out, Of course, the, the obviously difference here. Kentucky and Duke are both coached by experienced yes. Hall of Fame coaches, and Memphis simply is not. Memphis is coached by somebody who is working on a college campus for just the second year now in his life. And so I get that. And if you want to say that's why Memphis is borderline top 20, um, more than, you know, obvious top 10. That That's the argument to make. But I will say this. Memphis is going to be just the second school in the past 11 years to pair the number one recruiting class in America with a roster featuring at least three players who averaged at least five points per game the previous season. They'll be just the second school to do that in the past 11 years. The only other one was the 2009-2010 Kentucky team that brought back four players who averaged at least five points per game. They combined them with the number one recruiting class in America, and that team was undefeated right up until you know when. Devin Downey. That team was undefeated until it ran into Devin Downey's uh, South Carolina team. You know, that team, it was January 26, 2010. They go into South Carolina undefeated with four players who had averaged at least five points per game the previous year with the number one recruiting class in America. And then what are you going to do? They ran into Devin Downey. He got 30 points, five rebounds, three assists, two steals, a 68-62 win. But from there, they went on to earn a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. So you can chop all of this up however you want, but my my point is a simple point. When you enroll the number one recruiting class in America, um, you almost always have a great team. And that's why I'm just going to assume that that Memphis is going to win a whole bunch of games, and that's why I've got them easily in the top ten of the top twenty-five and one. All right, but that sounds like a wrap here. Full disclosure: my baby is awake and crying <laughs> in the crib. I got to get to this kid. So uh, it was great talking to you, and we'll chat next week. Go get your baby and shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. He's the legend. Shouts to the homie Larnell. And please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. You know the routine. Rate it favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. We're going to talk to you again next week. Till then, take care.